0: New York City is an urban center, maybe the urban center, known for glitz, glamour, and soaring housing prices out of reach for many. Remember, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. But much has changed since the pandemic. The number of apartments for rent in New York City has soared at the highest rate in more than a decade a sign that many residents have fled, many to second homes. My executive producer told me the story of a friend whose tiny town in the New York suburbs now has 50% more children at one local school. Whether these moves are temporary is still unknown. What is known is that this pattern is playing out across the country. People can work anywhere now, so why stay in cramped apartments? People crave space. But the more people flee urban areas, the harder it will be to revive local economies, as much needed income is fleeing as well. To talk about the future of cities, we reached out to two people who know them well. Representative Barbara Lawrence of Michigan, who was Southfield's first African-American mayor, and Anise Parker, former mayor of Houston. Welcome both of you to the show. We appreciate you joining us.
1: Glad to be with you. Thank you for
0: having me. So I'm just interested in both of your assessments on how cities were doing going into this pandemic, you know, what their state was before March and whether that varied at all depending on where you were in the country.
1: Uh, I will say that being in the Midwest and having just recently, recently meaning a few years out of the economic downspin that was spiral that we encountered being an automotive-driven economy in Michigan. I can tell you the economy was revamped, revamping. We call ourselves in Detroit the comeback city. Things were really looking up. And the thing that was so heartbreaking, in addition to just the overall health crisis of COVID, is that the small businesses who had stepped up and were actually thriving and growing and the entrepreneurship uh, element of cities I saw across the country was really uh, booming, but most of them were the service industry. As we know, the service industry and manufacturing are the two big things that we have in the United States. And so, it has had a tremendous impact on small businesses who immediately were hit hard because of COVID and because of the locking down of communities, especially in Michigan and in the Midwest. Um, we've, you know, that's why our stimulus package, uh, the CARES Act, was so driven toward supporting small businesses because it has been the lifeline of our recovery.
0: Mayor Parker, you yourself were a small business person before you got into politics. Uh, what's your assessment of how cities were doing and, and particularly that issue, how they were supportive of small businesses?
2: So, of Houston is in the Southwest. It's a, it's a big, booming city. And, and cities across the Southwest were growing rapidly and expanding and it doesn't matter where you are small businesses are the the lifeblood of a city no one wants to be a uh, one industry town there was a time when when Houston was in essence a one industry town when we were when when oil, oil and gas was 80% of the Houston economy in the 1970s and and we worked hard to get to get past that but you know, the, the, the broader problem is not that cities, whatever their economic circumstances, I think cities were all on the upswing before COVID hit. It's that it doesn't matter whether cities are doing well or doing poorly. Cities are the future. Cities are where the majority of the world's population lives. Uh, right now, about 50% of the world's population lives in uh, large cities, primarily, and you know, fifty percent of the population and two percent of the landmass. If we don't get it right on cities, then it's a problem for the
0: entire globe. Speak to that a bit, though. You say they're they're the future. I take it you mean they still are, despite what we're going through. Why do you feel confident about that?
2: There has been a migration to cities for a very long time. The last time I looked at the, the, the numbers, there were 40-some-odd megacities, cities with populations of um, you know 10 million or more. But, but Tokyo and Shanghai, 35 million people in each of those cities. And um, right now, as I said, about 50% of the world's population is in megacities. In 1950, it was 30% of the world's population. The trend is clearly going toward urbanization. And that's why I'm saying that, that the future of cities, whether they're in good shape or bad shape, we need to work to make sure that the, the elements that improve a city, and that keep cities healthy and functioning, are, are going in the right direction.
0: Well, let me get your assessment on that, Representative Lawrence. You know, cities indeed seem to be going through a renaissance in the last couple decades. Decades they were uh, home to well paying jobs, public transportation, all the amenities of city life, the concerts, the restaurants. Um, but COVID seems to threaten that. Do you feel as certain as Mayor Parker that they remain the future?
1: Absolutely. Uh, living in cities uh, provides so many uh, resources. You know, the rural areas of america offer a different lifestyle but when it comes to job creation when it comes to um access for small businesses because you get the bulk of the population to a customer base to support your business and as i sit on appropriations in congress and so i know that our funding When it comes to infrastructure, when it comes to public transportation, water systems, um, electrical grids, all of these things, majority of these things are consumed in our cities. And so it rises to the level of priority. So there is this generational pull for big, large cities or just city life, period, because of the convenience of life. And that seems to be, I when I look at the demographics, it seems like the, uh, not seem, it is a draw for the young generations.
0: What about urban centers? You know, we have most of our offices remain closed across the country or people are working from home. And there's some thought that that will continue, that businesses are realizing that their white collar employees can do pretty well from home. They could save on rent of their downtown offices. Do you see a shift happening in cities where you know pe- maybe the vitality moves more into the neighborhoods and out of downtowns?
2: That's certainly that's certainly uh, possible. And clearly, once we get through the pandemic, uh, there are going to be permanent changes. But you you said it. White collar workers, certain workers can work anywhere, but the vast majority of the population is either in service industry or uh, direct uh, businesses where they have to be present in order for uh, commerce to, to happen. And so, well, yes, there there's a certain elite that can work anywhere. I'm I'm working from home, and and I appreciate the ability to do that. But every one of my children has to get up and go to a place to work. And we're gonna to have to make accommodations for that. One of the things that people talk about now is you know, the rise in working from home. And so the people who can afford it are, are buying new places in, in the suburbs. I don't think you're gonna see the kind of um, you know, flight from urban areas that you saw before. What I think you're gonna see is an increasing urbanization of the suburbs because people are gonna want the space, but then they're gonna want all those amenities around them that they get in the urban core. And so, yes, there will be challenges to, to uh, make sure that those high-rise buildings in our urban cores are, are filled, but it, and it's gonna look different, but I don't see that that is going to stop uh, the, the growth of cities and the, the need for people to be uh, close together.
1: One, one of the things that COVID has really, um, expanded our view on. So things like, I can't go to work, but I have parks that are close by. I have, um, whenever they open up the movie theaters, the we already talked about, but what about fitness centers? Those amenities that are enjoyed in urban areas, that's not going away. It's just that as we We had to shut so many things down. And as they reopen, there's still a desire and a appetite for having what they call a comprehensive quality of life. And it's not that you don't get that quality of life in rural America. It is not as accessible. And when we're looking at um, resources, you know, there's that calculation. How can we get the resources to the majority of the people? And that's why the urban cores and cities, we have to pay attention to them, especially in appropriations, but we cannot neglect the rural areas. So if you are saying I am locked in my home, so you have seen housing in urban communities become very diverse, very high-end, affordable, uh, cluster living, single homes, and, as the urban community continues to have um, development that is targeted toward um diverse housing needs, you're going to find that the urban areas is going to continue to thrive.
0: Well, well, representative Lawrence, there's been some thought that the pandemic might restrain that cost growth and would actually benefit cities in the long term if a more diverse economic community can form. Do you see that possibility?
1: Well, the term is gentrification and I can tell you it's real and I'm very disappointed when I see it in urban cities where you saw a lot of diversity and you saw affordable housing and then all of a sudden there is a almost like a constructed movement to increase costs of the homes and you'll see the diversity shrinking. Not so much because of color, but because of the economics of it. And so I'm very concerned about that. I have seen uh, a halt in this just wave of pushing up the prices of homes in the urban uh, areas, which I think is the right thing to do. When we are, um, through HUD and other programs, we're really trying to put the kind of pump the brakes on this million-dollar housing in urban areas where only a certain demographic can live there, um, where affordable housing, which the majority of America lives in affordable housing, um, is shrinking. I live in Washington, D.C. It's just mind-boggling the price of housing within the city. Uh, Detroit was always a very affordable, we were one of the few cities in the Midwest, large urban cities that had majority single family homes. And that was always with the auto industry and being able to make a middle class salary. uh, That has always been, you know, if you're anybody in Detroit, you own a home. And that doesn't mean you're a millionaire. It just means that you have a job and you have income and you save and sacrifice. The home ownership is kind of the norm. And so we're seeing, in, especially in downtown Detroit, where there is all this new development, which is so needed in Detroit. But we're mandating that you include some affordable housing in all of this development. And it has to be concerted government Initiatives to create affordable housing. And, you know, with everyone looking at possible foreclosures because of this pandemic and people not being able to work, um, then it's forcing people to look at the developers to look at what am I providing? I have this customer base, but none of them can afford my property. And so I, I see some. Pausing, um, it has a stop, but I see some pause that affordable uh, housing can become a priority for development in these cities.
0: What's your assessment, Mayor Parker? So
2: Houston uh, has also been traditionally one of the more affordable large cities, partly because you know we're the largest unzoned city in the world, and, and we sprawl out and all uh, all over creation. But I, I, I see two trends that that need to be watched very carefully. One is that young people often don't want to own homes today. I know there's an affordability crisis, and there absolutely is an affordability crisis. And home ownership is, it is a path to generational wealth that has served a lot of communities for generations. And we don't want it to stop with us. We want it to to go to our children. But a lot of of millennials either don't think they can afford it or, or are not, interested in home ownership and you know they if they make a choice to be tenants rather than owners that's going to shift a whole lot of things both both uh, politically and culturally the other thing that we we have to think about is that everyone deserves a certain level of of infrastructure rural america deserves baseline infrastructure just like urban america but it is so much more cost-effective to be able to provide infrastructure for large groups of people when they are more compact. And so there are economies of scale in cities that uh, uh, have to be understood, whether it is the infrastructure of, you know, roads and bridges or or mass transit or whether it is the infrastructure of the new economy, which is, can you get fast internet, phone service, everywhere. And when you're, when you're running a city, your focus is on what's happening in the city. But from the, the, the congresswoman's perspective, looking at it from, you know, nationally, you have to constantly balance the, the desire to serve all the constituents, but an understanding that there are real economies of scale in being able to provide infrastructure uh, where the most people can benefit from it.
0: Representative Lawrence, One of your focuses when you were mayor of Southfield was uh, water quality and water infrastructure, um, given the scandal in Flint. We've heard about the devastating effect on city finances because of the pandemic, the the sales tax losses, the, the losses in fares for public transit. How do cities cope with that huge deficit that they're facing?
1: So this is one of the fights we're having right now on the Hill. And that is the HEROES Act, where we are actually providing um, federal dollars to cities. Water has been a major concern of mine and issue for me to fight for being in Congress. So as we talk about clean, safe, affordable water in urban areas... We have majority of our rural communities depending on well water. And we have an infrastructure water issue. You know, so many people want to talk about the potholes on our roads. But to me, the sewer and freshwater infrastructure, the drinking water infrastructure in America is in a crisis. And, and you talk about a balancing act. I need my rural community who sometimes are dependent upon wells that will go dry or wells that are contaminated that they have access to clean safe and affordable water. And here we are in large urban areas where we had an infrastructure that's over a couple of, some places a couple hundred years old that has never been replaced and therefore is contaminating the drinking water. So a w- couple things that you know we talk about infrastructure balance I mean broadband. So we have some communities in urban cities that do not have access to broadband for these children who are at home learning. So what are we doing here? The role of city governments is not just growth and housing, it's infrastructure, it's water, it's electricity. And we're not, you know, the, pan- the panacea is that if you move to an urban area, you'll have everything. It's becoming a challenge because the demand is growing on an aging older infrastructure.
0: Let's look ahead. We're past the pandemic. It's a couple years down the road. Are cities thriving again or is there a different dynamic that's taken hold?
2: I think cities are thriving today and I think they'll continue to thrive, but I think they'll they'll look different and the way we manage cities will look different. You know, part of it is 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 COVID and a recognition of the 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 changes that we we are currently making that may be permanent, but part of it will be changes in technology that, that will allow differences in cities. But I don't think you should in any way count cities out. I think it is part of human nature to want to cluster. You know, for all that those of us who can who can work remotely and and you know we can have everything we want delivered to our door, are we happy with that? Are we satisfied with that? Or are we ready to get back out and connect with each other? That's still going to be a factor. And there is no way to fully reach all the things that, that people need to make them happy. Why do people come to cities? Uh, a few years back, I sat down and I, and I came up with a bunch of, of E-words. They come to cities for employment, education, enterprise, entertainment, emancipation, escape, and engagement none of those things are going to change going forward. They may look a little bit different. We may tweak around the edges, but cities are going to still be offering those things and we have to make cities healthy.
0: Representative Lawrence, that's a reassuring view from Mayor Parker about the future of cities. Do you share it?
1: Yes, I do. So the ease that Mayor Parker outlined, understand when you read the history of America, the pioneers created cities. You know, this whole country was rural, and it was the desire and the will of the people that they start congregating and creating cities. I don't see cities going away. Cities are going to live. And, you know, when we went through the economic downturn, cities had to figure it out. I mean, there were some tough decisions. Um, Like, we have an amazing library in our city, but we were open seven days a week. We had to change the hours and be open maybe five days a week. Um, so we figure it out. That's why mayors are such great legislators. is because we understand at the end of the day, we are there to serve the people and to provide their needs because we're not doing this out of our own funding. The people are sending their tax dollars to us and we're the gatekeepers. We're the fiduciaries. We are supposed to uh, earn the trust of the people by managing their money well. And so the, the lifestyle in cities is one that's desired. Um, as cities were, you know, we all have our story of history, how people migrated to a certain area and, and put down their flag and said, this is where I want to live. I see that continuing. I see the, um, the talents and the necessities of mayors to figure it out is um, the one good thing about mayors, like uh, as stated earlier, we're under a microscope. They're watching every move we make. And if we don't make the right move, they feel it immediately and you hear it immediately and you won't be there long. So we have um, amazing opportunities uh, within our city. And I see them growing and changing and reforming and getting it right.
0: Mayors, let let me push back a little bit. I mean, we've seen uh, really devastating economic effects for cities where they are saying they're going to have to lay off or already are laying off public employees. It seems like this could be a very slow recovery. Do you think there's going to be months, years where cities were not where they were in 2019?
1: I feel very strongly that uh, this is going to be not, it's sprint; it's going to be more of a marathon. Understand cities, and I can speak to this because I was there when, when the money was drying up, the housing market was crashing. That's the number one source of income to cities are property taxes. And this is a pandemic. We pray that there will be a vaccine. We pray that the number of cases will reduce. If this was something like the economy and what we went through before, where we didn't know where the bottom was, it just was spiraling down, and we had to make day to day decisions. And like I gave you the example of the library, uh, we used to sweep the streets, you know, uh, every two weeks. We had to do it once a month. I mean, you reduce what you're giving. There are certain things. Like the mayor has said, you have to provide police, you have to transmit the water, drinking water, and you have to flush out the sewer, and you got to pick up the garbage. There were some cities that moved from picking up garbage weekly to picking it up every other week. You, you re, renegotiate contracts, you, know, you, you uh, put workers on rotating hours and shifts to reduce costs. I mean, you do what you, it's, it's amazing how we find a way to reduce costs, but you still have a city. And I don't see someone just selling their house and running to a farm because they say the Met is closed. What they'll do is like, we're using social media now. We can't go into an office, but we're still seeing, being entertained, communicating. We're figuring it out. So I'm not gloom and doom. And I'm not saying that we're going to everybody's just going to lay down. Thank God we're talking. So we didn't die from COVID and we still have opportunities and we're praying to God that we find the vaccine and that we can slowly come back. But I am not by any means writing off cities because we will. And look at people who who thought that we would never that we would be sitting at home and not driving, not going to work, not doing anything, but we're surviving and we're figuring it out. Our children are going to have to learn how to go back to school when they open back up. Our children are at home. That's not a normal school setting. What
0: about you, Mayor Parker?
2: COVID, COVID recovery is, it's not going to be fast. It's not going to be easy and it's not going to be without a lot of pain, But that is that is individually and also at the government level. It will take probably decades for small business to recover. And the wealth gap in America will absolutely increase. And and those are, are terrible things. It will, on the other hand, force necessary changes that are are long overdue. It'll force efficiencies in the system. It'll force us to rethink how we provide uh, a whole range of government services. And oddly enough, it is jump-starting, for those of us who actually believe in climate change, it is uh, jump-starting many of the efforts or, or advancing many of the efforts on uh uh climate change because as uh, as the congresswoman said you know cars are parked in garages and we are uh we're we're not we're not on the on the roads and it is hastening the demise of the oil and gas industry i worked in the oil and gas industry for 20 years before i went into politics i know it intimately but it is forcing changes on the system so there will be many things good or bad and the worst thing about covid I mean, I'm actually sitting at home in the rain because of of tropical storm beta, which is you know pounding the Houston region right now. But when you have a tropical storm, there is a beginning and a middle and an end, and you know where you are in the process. With this pandemic, we don't know where we are in the process, and that is a a concern. But with any any disaster, there's the what happens before, there was what happens during and what happens after. And I think a lot of us are using this opportunity during, even though we don't know where the end is, to start thinking about how to come out of it stronger in the after. And I guarantee you that that every major city in America is having those conversations and working toward it, but it won't be without pain. And it's going to take a long time.
0: Thank you both for sharing your refl- reflections today.
1: Absolutely, glad to. Thank you so much.
0: That's all for this episode of CQ Future. You can find our next episode at rollcall.com or your favorite podcast app. For all of us at CQ Roll Call, I'm Sean Zeller.